Hi, Jay Knights, and welcome to episode eight of the What the Austin podcast. I'm joined by Anne from Disney Princess Lessons. So hi, Anne. I'm so glad to have you with me. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm really looking forward to this episode. Um, but to start with, it would be great to hear about your Instagram page and also your vlog on YouTube. All right. Well, I um, am a big Disney fan. And so I kind of started my Instagram account as a Disney page, but I am a huge fan of Princess Belle and I love reading. I've been a Jane Austen fan for a long time. I love classics. And so I uh, kind of started posting a little bit about books and that's how we met each other. And I loved all of your, um, I loved your account with all of the Jane Austen quotes and everything. And So uh, anyway, I also have a YouTube channel where I do a little bit about books and some Disney travel. And I love meeting characters at Disney World, especially Belle. I love asking her for uh, book advice or book recommendations, I should say. So um, that's my channel. Amazing. And I'd love to know how you got into Austin, because I know that's something that obviously like that's where we've come together. Um, I mean, I love Disney as well, but um, it's kind of our bridge, isn't it, that we both love Austin. So. Yes, I love Austin with a passion. Um, So I I really, I think it's a really fun story um, the way that I got into Austin because um, my mom's side of the family, some of them are from the UK. And so when we were visiting, um, she took me to Bath and she had heard about the Jane Austen Center and she wanted to uh, take me there and for us to, you know, look at all at the museum and look at the gift shop and everything. And I had never heard of Austin before. I think I had maybe seen sense and sensibility or something when I was younger, but I had never even really heard of her before. Um, I think she was maybe even mentioned in an English class, but it just sort of wasn't connecting. And so I was kind of fascinated with the museum. They were having a little uh, guest talk at the time where we were there. And so we kind of snuck into the room upstairs and listened to the guest talk about a little bit about her life and her works. And I thought that was really interesting. And so we went into the gift shop. My mom bought me all of the Oxford editions of her novels. And when I got home from the trip, um, I started to read Pride and Prejudice. And I thought, this is kind of confusing. I was 17 years old. I should say that. So I thought, this is kind of confusing. Um, I don't know if I want to read this now. But one of my friends in my dance class was reading Pride and Prejudice for her English class. And she said, oh, it's amazing. You've got to get past the first chapter. You've got to meet Mr. Darcy. <laughs> you have to meet Elizabeth because it sort of, you know, starts with that macro view and then narrows in more on Elizabeth's point of view. And so I gave it a try again, pushed past that first chapter and got to the dance and I was like hooked. I like had to know what happened. And I just spent, I think it was the rest of that summer and kind of into that next school year, just devouring every single novel and falling more and more in love. And every time I would finish one, I would watch the adaptations that I could find. And I just, I became so passionate about it. I studied film and literature in school, both in undergrad and um, grad school. And so I would always find ways to do like adaptation studies, papers about Jane Austen. I always brought Jane Austen into like everything that I did. So I kind <laughs> of became known as the Jane Austen girl at school. So that is my uh, all been known. We've all been known as the Jane Austen girl. <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs> we should own it. It's okay. It feels so awkward at the time, but nowadays I'm just like, hell yeah, that's me. <laughs> exactly. We need our own club, Jane Austen girls. Oh my gosh, doesn't that sound so good? It's like calendar girls, but for Jane Austen, love it. Exactly. <laughs> that's actually so funny. It's so surprising how many um, authors got into Jane Austen through our mums, like. 
there we go mm-hmm. mom's the best bringing us all into the Austin world so that was the same for me a lot of the other people who've been on the show have um, said the same so amazing <laughs> moms are amazing it was so funny because the friend at dance and I we were so obsessed with Mr. Darcy that during a dance competition um, you could take out ads to like wish people good luck and these little brochures or little booklets that they would hand out and she actually paid for an ad with a picture of Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy <laughs> to wish everybody good luck it was so great oh my god that's amazing I love that <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) that's so funny. Um, So today's episode is going to be a little bit different, but we're really excited about it. We're going to be comparing the characteristics of Jane Austen heroines to Disney princesses. Um, So discussing what traits they have in common. And um, we just thought this would be really fun. We both love Disney. We both love Austen. So we thought, why not? Um, But there is a lot of crossover as well. When we've been doing our kind of notes prior, I think we've both found that there's a lot of similarities between the heroines and the princesses. So I think it's going to be really great. Yeah, I'm really excited. This is this is like my two favorite things in one place. When you um, talked to me about this idea, I was just super excited about it. Honestly, when I thought about it, I was like, I've got the perfect person to do that with me. <laughs> it's like messaged you straight away. Um, it's such okay. a niche. How many people like Disney princesses and Jane Austen, but um, I'm here <laughs> <Right>. for it. <laughs> Right, absolutely. Um, So before we start with Elizabeth Bennet, um, and then we'll work our way through the heroines and then just talking about which Jane Austen, uh, which Disney princesses we think match the Jane Austen heroines. And for Elizabeth Bennet, I said Belle to start with, um, her love of reading for one, um, that she's independently minded and falls in love with somebody who is easily misunderstood. Did you have Belle on your list for Elizabeth? Yes, Belle is definitely my number one. I kind of have it, <laughs> kind of rank them in order of how closely I felt that they matched. And um, I have always thought this. I've always felt um, since the time that I read Pride and Prejudice that the two stories are just so similar because Beast is so much like Mr. Darcy. Um, he's cranky. <laughs> he's totally misunderstood. He really has a good heart underneath. Um, I definitely think, you know, her close relationship with her dad, because, um, Elizabeth is really close with her father and, um, let's see, I'm looking at some of my notes. Did you know that Belle was actually inspired by Joe March? The animators and storytellers were actually inspired by Joe March. And so, um, and I think Joe March from Little Women and Elizabeth Bennett have a little bit in common. A lot of people think of them as kind of like they would be really good friends. So I think that's it kind of comes comes full circle to me with that. Oh, amazing. That's such a good point, actually. Yeah, I've never actually thought about that, but I can totally see the connection there, which, like you said, would then make sense that she's got similarities to Elizabeth Bennett as well. Um, Another point that I thought made them similar in their storylines is that they both have kind of a rake type character who's mm-hmm. in red, who they kind of have something going on with. Obviously, Belle's like turns down Gaston straight away. But the point is, there's like the man in red. Don't trust the man in red. This is what this is what I'm taking from this. That is <laughs> um, so good. I never made that connection. I love that. Gaston and Wickham, they're very similar. Um, they're both obviously quite full of themselves, deceitful. Um, and they think that women will want them no matter what. So um, I thought that was like a really good tie between the two. Um, another note that I made was the fact that um, Elizabeth doesn't want to marry for the sake of it. She'll only marry for love. And Belle is mm-hmm. the same. She's like, she wants more from life. She's not going to marry Gaston just for the sake of it. So I thought that was quite a good link between the two as well. 
Yes, that's a really good link. I didn't, the the man in red, I did not uh, make that connection, but I absolutely love it. And another thing that I thought about Belle is that she really has a clever kind of wit um, as far as there's a scene where Gaston asks her to marry him and she says she doesn't deserve him. And then she sort of like lets him out the door and he falls into the mud. And I feel like Elizabeth Bennett would be all over that. She would totally do something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Actually, I feel like it's like a little pig there, isn't there? He's like trying yes. to eat him or something. Yes. That's such a funny scene. I love that. She has that wry sense of humor that um that Elizabeth has. Like I don't think a lot of people think of Belle as funny, but when you really watch it, she has that kind of like one eyebrow arch kind of uh sense of fun and sense of I don't know, cleverness that Elizabeth has. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the fact that they're both from these small towns, which is full of gossip, like, I mean, the first scene in Beauty and the Beast with like the song bell, where they're all kind of like saying like, oh, it's Terrigan with her nose stuck in the book. And they're all like gossiping. Um, That's very much like Meriton and like that kind of vibe. And they both, I think, thrive when they leave that environment and they can be like their, their truest self. Yeah, definitely. If you If you think about it, um, the village and the 1995 Pride and Prejudice Meryton village, they have some similarities. They do have a little bit of a similar look. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I never actually thought about that. That's so true. Like actually in appearance, they do look quite similar. Yeah, I like that. That's really good. The Beast Castle does not look like Pemberley. Thank goodness. No. The Beast Castle to start with is super scary. <laughs> so. Yes, it is. But in the end, it is magnificent, just like like Pemberley. So. That's true. That's true. Um, so did you have any other princesses that you linked with Elizabeth Bennett? <laughs> I did. I feel like this one's just like a little bit of a stretch, but I thought it was worth mentioning because I do think she has some similarities with Merida just because of the fact that Merida and her mother have kind of a tense relationship. Her mother is always wanting her to be a certain way. She's wanting her to get married. Merida does not want to get married. Again, she has kind of a better relationship with her father. Um, So I think those two things go together. I also think that, um, looking at my notes here, Oh, I also think that she has the troublemaking brothers who drive her crazy, which is very similar to Kitty and Lydia who drive Elizabeth crazy. And it's completely troublemaking in a different way, but it's still like younger siblings who are kind of annoying. And then also Elizabeth, she's not quite as outdoorsy or sporty or um, I don't know what else to describe Merida, but she's not quite so outdoorsy as Merida. But I also think that, you know, the fact that she does like to walk, she does like to exercise she walks to see her sister and caroline and mrs hearst makes fun of the mud on her petticoat and you know merida's kind of always a mess like that too she's always outside and i think both of them want to be mistress of their own fate that's such a great point yeah i 100 agree with all of that there's definitely links there between them i love the comment you made about the mom the relationship between the two mothers that's such a great call yeah i never thought about that um I suppose the great thing about Marjorie as well is she's so bold. And I think Elizabeth has that as well. Like they're not afraid to speak their mind. Um, yeah. And I think that runs through both of the, those characters. So yeah, that's such a great call. Um, did you have any other for Elizabeth? I only had Val for Elizabeth actually, but is that? Yeah, that's it for Elizabeth. I think those are the two that really fit the most to me. I love that. I think in appearance as well, they look really similar, both being like brunette and like appearance wise, they're really similar as well. So um, I think 
Belle Elizabeth is the closest match, but I love your comments on Merida. That's great. So the next heroine on my list is um, Catherine Morland. So from Northanger Abbey. Um, I've got a few for this. Um, I'm going to start again with Belle. She is on my the top of my list. Um, the fact with the reading, um, the sense of curiosity and the Gothic castle. Um, beating the beast, beast is full of kind of Gothic tropes and so is Northanger Abbey. So I thought that was quite a good link together. Did you have Belle on your list for Catherine? I did. I kind of put her like third on my list. And I think it's just because I associate Belle with Elizabeth so much. I actually think that Belle and Elizabeth are the best match out of all of them. And so, but I didn't think about the Gothic castle. And so now I'm kind of like, Oh, that's a really, that's a really clever. um, That's a really clever comparison. So now, now, now it might be going up on my list, but I think that's great. (laughs) Yeah. I've budged her up to number two for you. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've also made comparisons between Catherine and Alice. Um, again, because of that curiosity, I mean, Catherine creeping around the Abbey um, and just like rooting through because she goes through um, Henry's mother's room and she's like just does her own thing. And she's going through um, all of their like boxes, finding like letters and all sorts. So she's definitely got that sense of curiosity. What I also thought was a really good match between Catherine and Alice is. There, there seems to be a blur between what's imagination and what's reality for them. So Catherine's like thought that um, General Tilney killed his wife. Um, and then Henry being like, that makes no sense. But then there is kind of a link there. I think um, there's that blurred line for both of them between imagination and reality. Um, I don't know if you had Alice on your list or if you've got someone else. Yeah, I actually had Alice as my number two also, just because um, I, well, I think I probably didn't think about it until I saw it on your list, but I I thought it was just brilliant because I could totally picture Catherine following a white rabbit down a rabbit hole. Like she totally would. She would be uh, really intrigued by it. She's very, very curious. And I love what you said about the imagination. I, I really don't have anything more to add to it because I think you described it so well. That's exactly why I would agree with this one. Yeah. I also think their youth as well, because Catherine's quite a young heroine. Um, yes. And Alice is obviously quite a young, I mean, I add class her as a Disney princess personally. I don't know if she is actually characterized as that. I don't know what you, you probably know better than me. I feel like she's, so it's really weird with Disney. They have their official Disney princesses and Elsa and Anna aren't actually on the list, I don't think, but they have kind of their official list and then they have sort of their honorary princesses. But, you know, I feel like if it's kind of a female heroine in the Disney universe, it's close enough for me. So I think it totally counts. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Um, Another one that I had on the list for Catherine is um, Snow White. And that's because of the innocence and her trust in nature. I just feel like Catherine, especially when she first meets like Isabella and John, I mean, she's always a little bit skeptical about John, but Isabella, she is quick to be her friend and um, trusts her. But Isabella's obviously just got some bad intentions a lot of the time. I don't know if you kind of saw those similarities. Yeah, I could see that. I did not put her on my list, but I could definitely see it. And now that we're talking, I kind of think Henry Tilney's father, he could definitely have some evil queen um, (laughs) correlations because he does kind of have bad intentions, you know, thinking that she's the rich heiress and trying to sort of lure her in just like with the apple and the evil witch. So, you know, that, that that could work. 
Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, I didn't even think about that myself, but definitely, yeah, he's got evil queen vibes all over. <laughs> he does. He's like the creepiest Austin character to me. I think he's, I just reread all the Austin novels last summer and fall-ish. And um, when I was rereading Northanger Abbey, because it'd been probably the longest since I'd reread that one, I was like, he is really sinister, like more than I remembered. Right, absolutely. He's more like Bronte character than than Austin. Like I feel like because I think that's the, again with like one of the more gothic tropes that fall into Northanger yeah. Abbey. But he is definitely a creepy guy. Um, and I think what makes him creepier is the fact that he's not one of the Bronte type or gothic characters. I like that Jane Austen kind of took that trope. She always does it. She always proves that real life is almost like scarier or stranger sometimes than these fantastical things. She, you know, it's it's scarier to think of a real fortune hunter who is willing to just throw out his guests in the middle of no- of the night, someone who's completely vulnerable in the Regency era. I mean, that's just like, I think about how shocking that is. And that is for that era, like it seems horrible now to throw somebody else, somebody out in the middle of the night, but like in the Regency era, a young girl like that, that is seriously sinister. It actually is, honestly. I mean, if someone did that to me, I'd be absolutely terrified. Honestly, I'd be mortified yeah. if that happened to me now. So I can't even imagine like back then when, women didn't have the same independence in general. So you've not been able to build up like the knowledge of what to do in that situation. So yeah, I always feel like so bad, so bad for Catherine for that. It's just, it's awful, honestly. And and, and before that, obviously she's had that weird, um, she's kind of basically fallen out of Henry because she thought that he, like his dad had killed his mom and um, she got the letter from Isabella, which Blumen exposes Isabella's been like, sleeping with Henry's brother or what have you and then their brother's no longer engaged I mean what what a day I mean that would be a bad 24 (laughs) hours definitely (laughs) oh dear so the number one on my list for Catherine is Rapunzel because I feel like they both share that naive personality but they are equal parts naive and equal parts excited about going out into the world and I like that the that neither one of them is is really like a shaking leaf, you know, they kind of have their fears, but they're also really excited to experience everything. I also thought that it was very similar because they both kind of fall in with a guide to the outside world and their main guide to the outside world is this clever, funny, confident, charming guy. And while I don't think Tilney and Flynn Rider are exactly the same, you know, Tilney is much more, um, he's not a thief. He's, he's much more upstanding. They both have that kind of clever humor. And um, I think that they have a very similar dynamic in their relationship. And I also, um, I was thinking about the part in Rapunzel when she first goes out into the world and she's terrified by the rustling in the bush and it's actually a rabbit. And she like jumps on Flynn Rider and she's absolutely scared. And then, and she thinks it's going to be a ruffian, but it's actually this tiny little bunny rabbit. And that reminded me so much of Catherine because she's like terrified that all of these bad things have happened in Northanger Abbey. And that's nothing like what she thought. And then I also thought that, you know, she seems sweet and kind of overly kind, but I think that both Catherine and Rapunzel are surprisingly stern when they need to be like John Thorpe, like he's so annoying. But Catherine becomes fed up with it. And at a certain point, she's kind of like, no, like, I'm not going to go with you. You know, I'm not going to go on another ride with you. I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm going to learn from my mistakes with this. And I feel like that's exactly what Rapunzel does, too. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. 
Um, because it's actually that scene when um she's in the carriage with John and he's like, Oh, we can't stop now. And he knew that they were gonna be she was gonna meet um, I think it's Eleanor, isn't it? The sister. Yes. Um I think so. They were going to meet and he's like, oh, no, well, we can't stop for that now. We're going to have to keep going. And she's literally there like, why would you do that? Like, she does stand her ground and she's like, that's wrong. Like, I made plans with people and you've just like sabotaged that. And they're going to think that I'm like rude now because of that. Yeah. Oh, gosh, John Thorpe, honestly, I really can't stand that guy. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I could go on a whole tangent of him. And what I think is the funniest thing about him, I won't go on a tangent, but I just have to say the funniest thing about him to me is the fact that. Um, that kind of guy has not changed in 200 years. He's the exact guy who would like show off his car and want to take you for a ride in his fancy convertible. It's like exactly the same. That is so true. Oh my gosh. Like you can definitely find John Thorpe's in everybody's life. I do like the the connection with Rapunzel and, and Catherine, because I think the biggest thing for me is I love that Catherine does have a lot of growth. She starts out naive and she learns a lot by the end, just the same as um, as Rapunzel and how she learns to stand up to her mother. That's such a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. You've definitely, you've won me over with that. I think her and Rapunzel are a really close match. Um, I, I don't know why I didn't bring Rapunzel in. Tangled used to be actually be my favorite Disney princess movie. It's now Princess and the Frog, but it did used oh, to I be Tangled. Them. I love that film. <laughs> yeah. Good film. Oh dear. And the new new Disney princess films, obviously. You know, yes. we, we can have a different list for classics, of course. <laughs> it's too hard to pick. You have to separate the two. Yeah. It's um, just like it's too hard to pick uh, Jane Austen heroines, also. <laughs> right, exactly. We've got the issue with both of them. So um next on my list is Marianne Dashwood. So I'm happy for you to get going with her first. Okay. Um, my top one is Anna from Frozen. I just think that they're not exactly alike in the sense that Anna is very naive, but they're both very boisterous and they both don't understand their kind of colder, um, less feeling sister, less emotionally, I guess, available sister. And I always tell people who are Disney fans, like I, I definitely am always trying to convert people to Jane Austen. And so one of the the things that I will say is I will say, you know, if you want to read Sense and Sensibility, it's a lot like Frozen because you have these two opposite sisters and one's really like represses her emotions and one is like really out there with her emotions. And I also think the other thing is that they both fall for a guy really quickly who is not a good guy. Um, like Hans and Willoughby have a lot of similarities and um, and then they don't realize that they're in love with the sort of more average seeming kind of like every man but really nice good guy like you know um, Kristoff seems kind of weird at first just the, the same way that um, Brandon is just not appealing to Marianne and so I mean, there's not the age difference or anything like that I think that like uh, Christoph is definitely a branded like just even in frozen Two, the way that he says my love is not fragile like to me that's totally something Brandon would say um to <laughs> oh so and I just think that they're just both really boisterous and I just think that the and the lack of understanding like I said with uh, the less emotional sister so that's my top pick oh my goodness that is such a match I did not pick up <laughs> on that but that is Oh, wow, I'm actually impressed. I'm literally going to go around and be like frozen and sense of sensibility. So similar. Oh my gosh. I feel like they have the same similarities in the way that Beauty and the Beast and uh, Pride and Prejudice do. Like the stories just have so much in common. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. So true. Yeah. I'm fully on board with that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, even to the point, like you said, that they fall for the wrong guy to start with and they fall quickly. Um, what, what's the guy's name in Frozen? The, the not very nice one. Hans. Hans oh my gosh you know when the first time I watched it when he turned around and was like well I don't love you and basically just like leaves her there dying yeah nothing's ever scarred me more I don't think I was (laughs) I was slightly traumatized by that moment (laughs) I know because I didn't completely suspect him I honestly spent the entire movie thinking okay Anna is actually going to fall for Kristoff but Hans is going to fall for Elsa because I felt like, oh, they're going to have to make sure that both have a love interest. And I like that they surprised us and that Elsa's story was just more about like, you know, finding her her comfort level with herself, finding um, a way to be her authentic self. So that, that movie, like, I know people, it's been played to death, people are sick of it. But when you first saw that movie, if you take yourself back, like to the first time you saw it in the theater, it's a really good movie. Yes, honestly, there's not there's not been a Disney movie that shocked me like plot wise like that one did. I I thought that um Anna would just turn up back in there and she'd be like, oh, you're not really what I'm after. Like I've grown on my my adventure or what have you. And he just yeah. he'd try and take the kingdom. It wouldn't work, and he'd just disappear. But mm-hmm. it got dark real quick, and I was yes, I was disturbed. <laughs> yes, definitely. He pulled a Willoughby, even worse. He pulled a um. Yeah, a Wickham, basically. I know it was honestly traumatic. Um, so do you want to see what who else you've got on your list, or do you want me to give one of mine? I think that we're similar. So you go ahead and do your next one. Okay, so my top one, maybe top, I don't really rank mine, but the top on my list is um Pocahontas. And that was because I thought that they're really in tune with um, the world around them. So like nature, obviously for Marianne, it's more through poetry. um, But I thought their connection to um, like their sensitivity to nature is there. And also, and they're both very intelligent and they appreciate that in other people. Uh, Marianne's always going on about how much she, you know, appreciates people being intelligent. That's why she really falls for Willoughby. Obviously, later we find out that he kind of models himself so that she will fall for him. Like he knows exactly what she's after. Um, But it's so important to her that she's with somebody who has the same interests and she doesn't recognize Brandon's intelligence straight off the bat because he's not um, upfront with it, but you can definitely tell that's something that's super important to her. Um, So I thought that was a really close similarity between her and Pocahontas. Like Pocahontas is so I do know intelligent like she turns around to John and she's like when when he first arrives and she's like you don't know anything like you think you do but actually I'm gonna show you what what things actually are (laughs) um and it's like as he learns as John learns um when he's on the like obviously on the land with her he realizes actually yeah there's so much to learn and then they get closer because of that oh I thought where they differ however is in patience and maturity I think Pocahontas is really patient, really mature, and Marianne's really not for 80% of the book. Um, she's not patient um, when it comes to um, relationships. Like, she absolutely wants everything right now when it comes to Willoughby. Like, when he doesn't send her a, a letter back, it's the end of the world, when they can't necessarily go on that trip in the carriage, it's the end of the world. Um, whereas Pocahontas is much more soft and genteel. Um, I think Marianne's often ignorant and stubborn as well. So I think that's where they differ as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that one for for exactly the same reasons. I feel like the Colors of the Wind song is definitely something that Marianne would sing, but maybe with a little less, um, I don't know, a little less authenticity. I, I, I think with Marianne, she is really in love with these ideas about herself. I think she likes thinking of herself as someone who loves nature, but I still think that despite that, I think she does have like a little bit of that spiritual connection for lack of a better term uh, to nature that I think that Pocahontas has. And I could definitely see Marianne growing into more of a Pocahontas as she's older, as she's with Brandon for a while. So I really like that one for the exact same reasons. That's awesome. Um, I'll throw my second one out there and then we can see if you've got some others on your list. So um, the fact, the reasons that I don't think she's fully Pocahontas in terms of like the maturity and the patience is why I think she's more like Ariel from Little Mermaid, um, yes. because Ariel's much, um, more immature to start with. Um, she's still headstrong, but it's mm-hmm. kind of a, a reckless, she's reckless with it. Um, a lot of the time, um, Ariel's a true romantic, falls hard for people fast. Um, like Ariel falling for Eric is like zero to a hundred real quick. Um, <laughs> Um, a bit like Marianne falling for Willoughby. Um, luckily, Ariel's a bit better at picking people <laughs> than Marianne. Um, yeah. she's or easily she just manipula- got lucky. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Or she just got lucky, exactly. Yeah. Um, she's easily manipulated and tricked, um, like Marianne is with Willoughby. Um, obviously, Ariel's tricked and manipulated by Ursula. Um, yeah, and then the fact that they're just really independent, headstrong, um, and they're being cautioned by wiser characters. So mm-hmm. um, Ariel always has like Sebastian there saying like, well, I don't know if this is a good move. And um, Marianne has Eleanor there saying like, you really need to be careful here. Um, maybe you're not presenting yourself in, in the best light. Um, but then my last point is that they're both musical. Obviously Marianne with the piano and um, Ariel singing. So yeah, that was my Ariel piece. <laughs> I absolutely love your point about Sebastian and Ariel, because even though um, I did choose her, I never thought about that. But Sebastian and Eleanor have a lot in common. It's so funny to think about, but they're both a little bit uh, sarcastic. They're both definitely like practical. Um, They are definitely the ones trying to caution uh, Marianne and Ariel. I I love that. I think that is the most brilliant connection. That is my mind's blown. That's great. (laughs) Thanks. I'll take <laughs> now I'm going to picture now I'm going to picture Sebastian in like a little Regency help <laughs> as Eleanor. <laughs> so great. I feel like we should make that Sebastian with a bonnet on in a carriage. That'd be hilarious. I know. <laughs> I know. Someone really needs to do that. Um, I don't have a whole lot to add to it because I again I agree for the exact same reasons. The only thing I probably would add is um, that I think that Marianne and Ariel both think that there's something better out there. And while I think in The Little Mermaid, you know, it is that she does love the human world and the human world ends up being, um, you know, where she wants to stay. um, Really, the ocean world is pretty great too. And she just thinks that the human world is better and it ends up being better for her and that's fine. But I think that's kind of like Marianne where it's not necessarily a specific world, but it's a world of ideas. Like she, she sees Willoughby embodying this world of ideas that she thinks is better than her just everyday life in the same way that Ariel catches glimpses of humans and thinks that they, the way that they live is something better 
more romantic, more interesting, more exciting than her everyday world in the ocean. So I think that's, that's my, um, that's the only thing I have to add about that, but I agree with everything you said. I love that. That's all. I love that. Yeah. That's such a great idea, actually, that, that connection. And I think, um, in that sense, both of them become like infatuated with the ideas that aren't necessarily all true. Like you said, like there's nothing wrong with the ocean world, but Ariel's fixated on the human world and Mm -hmm. Marianne is fixated on Willoughby, um, when there's not a lot of depth to him in reality. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's actually so interesting. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great point. I think even beyond Willoughby too, she has this romanticized world of music and art and where she won't even, she'll be rude to people. Like she will be rude to the Jennings. And, you know, Mrs. Jennings is absolutely insane. But if you really look at her, she really has good intentions and she really is like a very kind person. She's kind of off the wall and inappropriate, but she definitely is a kind person. And I think that you know, Marianne just can't appreciate anything that does not encompass her romanticized version of the artistic, intelligent world. And the same way that Ariel can't really appreciate the mer people <laughs> in her life as well, because they don't have the the human characteristics she values. No, I totally agree. That's so true. And I think it, on that point that Marianne, um, she is so quick to judge Brandon because um, when she realizes that he's kind of had past lovers or what have you, um, she says like, that's it then. You know, if you've had things in the past, it's kind of over for you. And she's just got these bizarre, strong beliefs that she's just like completely takes over her. And at the start of the novel, like she's literally just drumming that into anyone and everyone who seems to question them. So yeah. (laughs) I absolutely agree. I think Ariel's a little nicer than Marianne, though, especially at the start. Um, I'd say that's the only kind of difference that Ariel's um, really kind and sweet, whereas Marianne comes across a bit mean and just stubborn. (laughs) Have you seen that? This just makes me think of this. Have you seen those memes? I think they were from a few years ago. It was hipster Ariel, because I always think of Marianne would have been like the hipster. And I think that that's kind of a funny connection, too. Oh, that's interesting. I've not actually seen this. (laughs) Those were a thing, especially in the Disney community. I want to say it was probably like four years ago, but um, they would have these uh, memes with Ariel with like the hipster glasses. And I think it was just because she's kind of like angsty and everything. And so I just, um, I don't know. I just, that also connection (laughs) to me, it was funny. That is really funny. Um, I feel like, oh wait, no, I have done the list, right? I was going to say, oh my gosh, have I done Marianne and then not done Eleanor like after, but I have, I have. So Eleanor's next on my list. Um, I've not got many notes on this. I've put people that I connect with us. So it'd be good to just talk this through because I didn't write too many notes of why I think they are similar. Um, I must've just been like off the top of my head, what I thought like my first initial thoughts were. So for Mm -hmm. Eleanor, I've got um, Sleeping Beauty and I've just put Patient and Good Tempered. And then um, Tina, the fact that she's hardworking and also frugal, the fact that she, like when they move to the cottage, she's the one who's always there. Like we need to be on a budget. Like we don't have money to spare. We need to make sure that we're, like she says to Marianne, you can't have that horse off Willoughby because how on earth are we going to afford it? And she She's good at running a house. Um, and I think Tina really embodies that idea of, you know, working hard and managing money. And I love Tina. She's one of my favorite Disney princesses. 
Um, so yeah, I don't have many notes on Eleanor, so it'd be good to just like chat that through when I, when I know what your, your thoughts are. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, my number one, which is no surprise after what we talked about earlier was, is Elsa, but Tiana is my number two for the same reasons. I think that she's really practical, no nonsense. Um, and she, I guess Eleanor doesn't really learn to loosen up. And so that's kind of where they're a little bit different because part of Tiana's journey is that she has to learn to loosen up. But um, I think that's a great one. And again, with Elsa, I just feel like they're both kind of hiding a secret. So after Eleanor learns about Edward with Lucy Steele and she feels like she has to conceal, don't feel, I feel like that just that fits with Elsa's ice powers. Um, and they're, they're both kind of secretly upset while their sisters are like, do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> like Marianne's like, why are you, <laughs> can you picture Marianne knocking on a door and singing, do you want to be a snowman? That just made me laugh. But, <laughs> but like, and in, in the macro view, it's a very similar sentiment, despite being completely, um, completely different on, on screen and page. No, that's so true. I tell you what I can see, I can see Eleanor like going off and building an ice castle for herself. Yes. Like, I can totally, <laughs> totally see her doing that. Um, well, and Marianne even says, I think she even calls her cold, doesn't she? I know she says like unfeeling Eleanor or something. I think she says like, but I think she calls her cold. Maybe I'm confusing. Maybe she just calls her cold in a movie version, but I'm pretty sure she calls her cold in the novel. Maybe wrong. Um, but I love your comment, the fact that um, about the concealing and not like letting out, showing those true feelings. I think that's so mm-hmm. true. Eleanor bottles everything up for the majority of the novel. I feel so bad for Eleanor. It's like, like I used to really like Marianne. I think that's because I could relate to her more when I was younger. But as I've Same. got older, I feel so bad for Eleanor. I can't even imagine. I'm sorry, Lucy Steele is one of the worst characters because I don't believe for one minute that she doesn't realize something's going on with Eleanor in um, Edward. So I just feel like her constant, like, comments about being like oh me and Edward have been engaged blah blah this is what we're going to do honestly I I think that's awful I think oh it just makes me feel so gross especially if she does in fact know which I think she does that Ellen there's something like between Eleanor and Edward it's just cruel (laughs) yeah it really is I'm I'm exactly the same way I used to as you know when I first read it at like 17 Marianne's really relatable because I think maybe not all but most 17 year old girls kind of like relate with that that swoony guy who comes and rescues you and it just seems so and you just think oh gosh she ends up with Brandon and of course as you know I'm very team Brandon now but um especially when I reread Sense and Sensibility last year I really felt for Eleanor and not only that but I noticed she has a really subtle sense of humor and in the comparison with Frozen I think that Elsa sometimes has like a cute subtle sense of humor but one of my I just have to say one of my favorite quotes um which I was trying to pull up here but one of my favorite quotes that um Eleanor says is well she doesn't say it I'm sorry it's one of my favorite quotes from Sense and Sensibility it's in the narration and I think she's talking to John Dashwood or she's talking to Fanny's brother and it says that he doesn't deserve the compliment of rational opposition and it just that's like my favorite thing about Eleanor because it's really (laughs) sassy I mean she doesn't say it but it's like Jane Austen is narrating that that's how Eleanor felt and that just that's like one of my favorite quotes yeah I feel like you can really respect Eleanor because the people that she wants to spend time with and she appreciates all usually good people. Like I feel like she's such a good judge of character. Um, 
I, I, in, um, I think it was our second episode. Was it my second episode? I did like, um, give you credit for it because you were the one that kind of brought my attention yes. to like Brandon and everything. So in our, I listened episode, to it. It was such a great episode. <laughs> And I was like picking up Brandon, um, me and Kaylee were for like the whole episode. But the fact that um, Eleanor and Brandon have such a close friendship, I really like that. And I think um, maybe that's where they kind of differ for Elsa, unless we kind of look at um, Olaf as being like Elsa's friend. <laughs> but well, I think in Frozen 2, um, definitely, I mean, it's made, definitely not as close, but I do think in Frozen 2, I don't know if you've seen that one, but I do think that Elsa and Kristoff do have a really good, like, affable friendship. And like in the little Frozen shorts um, that they've made, I definitely feel like he fits in really well. It's not the same as Brandon at all, but I definitely think you can make a little bit of the comparison with Kristoff and Elsa in the sequels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, your point about um, Kristoff and Brandon is so true. Though they are really similar characters, um, and I think what they bring to the significant of it when that comes about is is like that sense of calm. And I think mm-hmm. they both do that. So Brandon for Marianne is that sense of calm brings her back down to reality. And the same for Christoph and Anna, because she's a little bit like crazy all the time. <laughs> Whereas yeah. he's a little bit more soft and calm and just like a little bit floaty. But yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's a good character. Well, and if you think about it too, Elsa does not like Hans at all. She does not want Anna to get married right away she's like you can't marry someone you just met which is exactly the same response as Eleanor had and so I think that they have that similarity too and this is just sort of a side note but I was since you brought up your podcast one of the things that kind of blew my mind when I was listening to your podcast is when you guys were talking about um when you guys were talking about Marianne and Willoughby and how Willoughby modeled himself to be what Marianne wanted. And I see that. I think I never really consciously thought about that um, because I thought, oh, they just have a lot in common, but I think you're really right on that. And then I think that goes back in again with this frozen sense and sensibility thing, because that's exactly what Hans does. He just tries to be exactly what Anna wants. That's actually so true. It's like in the song that they sing, um, Love is an Open Door. Like, yeah, he's there's a little bit where he's like, uh, We finish each other's, and then he's like, Sandwiches. He's like, That's what I was going to say. And it's like, We know, Hans, that was not what you were going to say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's so true. I can definitely see the similarities between Sense Sensibility and Frozen. You, yeah, you won me over there. I'm going to be <laughs> telling other people that. <laughs> Yeah, I always tell Disney fans, I'm like, if you like Beauty and the Beast, read Pride and Prejudice. If you like Frozen, read Sense and Sensibility. So true. I feel like we're bringing it all together in this podcast now. We'll literally <laughs> put it out there. Just be like the guide to Disney and Austin. <laughs> exactly. Um, so next on my list, unless we have you got any more on your Eleanor list? Nope. nope that's okay. It. So I'll move on to the next one on my list. We've got Emma Woodhouse from Emma obviously um okay so top on my list for emma is jasmine um protective father um and somebody who's born into privilege um she's a very desirable match for a man like um jasmine has people suitors coming to see her all the time everybody knows that emma would be a great match for anyone um but she's happily independent and so is jasmine jasmine's half like she actually wants to run the kingdom herself and emma is happy to be mistress of um harfield 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with that one. That was my topic too. I just think that um, for all the reasons that you said, and I think that um, in a way, you know, people often think of Emma as like the spoiled princess, which you could say, I mean, it's not that Jasmine is spoiled. She has a difficult life and even Emma has her struggles too. But I think that people could label them both that the same thing with the father. I'm just trying to think if I even have anything else to add because you did such a good job with it. Um, um, oh, I can't even think of anything. I just, yeah, I, I just think she's kind of, she's definitely my number one because she just fits so perfectly. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I definitely think you could describe Jasmine as handsome, clever, and rich. Like, you know, she's pretty, she's, she's very clever and very rich. And that's why a lot of guys are after her. And, um, she's kind of just sees it for, I think she, she's, she has a little bit of the Elizabeth Bennett thing, I think in a sense of the way she sees these matches, but because I don't think Emma, because she does have the money and she does have the privilege a little bit different than Jasmine, where she's not being forced to marriage. I don't think, sorry, not being forced to get married. I don't think she sees it in the, the exact same way. But I do think that they both um, they both want that independence and both want to kind of rule over their little worlds on their own. Right. I feel like another another good point um, matching kind of the two storylines is um, Elton and his proposal and like Jafar, like that that sense of like there's this male character who thinks they're like entitled to you. Yes, I didn't even think about that. That's a really good one. Thanks. I literally just come up, came up with that right there. I was just thinking about it and I was like, I feel like there's going to be somebody who's similar to Elton. It usually goes with stories, doesn't it? There's going to be this kind of like undesirable yeah. man who's creeping on you. I mean, Elizabeth has Collins. Emma has Mr. Elton. Honestly, the Mr. Yes. El- the Mr. Elton proposal freaks me out like no one's business, but he is, he's got that same arrogance that Jafar has. Yes. It's literally just like, I am entitled to whatever I want. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, that is such a good comparison. I never thought about that. And Jafar is somebody, I mean, I, I watched Aladdin for the first time when I was a kid, so I can't really remember my, you know, any kind of analytical reaction to that. But I do, do, do think that I didn't see it coming. You know, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's super, super obvious. Um, at the very, very first, you start to understand that he um, that he does want her for the the title and the position. But I do think Jafar kind of sneak attacks you a little bit in the same way that Elton did, because I didn't I didn't see it coming with Mr. Elton at all. Right. Absolutely. And I feel like the heroines themselves don't see it coming out. They're literally just like, what? This is like so out there why would you even think like why is it come to your mind yeah <laughs> I always think that with Emma she's literally just like this makes no sense to me I thought you were interested in my friend like I've not shown you any attentions like in the sense that I want to marry you I also made this point I think it was in um episode three why would Emma like why would Mr Elton think that Emma would go for him anyway like if we're just thinking about the time period why would that make any sense? An heiress, why would she go and marry the clergy of her, the village? I, I'm sorry, but that like boggles my mind. Like considering they're not in love, maybe Mr. Elson thought they were in love, but I'm literally just like, <laughs> I don't get why you thought that was a match. <laughs> I think he's arrogant enough to think that um, that she's in love with him. I think because of 
her trying to set him up with Harriet, I do think she does come across like if you really, really take yourself away from what we know about the story and you look at it from his eyes, um, the little riddles that they do that she's putting together and just like and she's like goes to visit and it seems like she's trying to make excuses to stay longer. It really I think he's smarter than she gives him credit for. He knows something's going on, but he's not smart enough to realize that she's trying to set him up with Harriet. I think he just is like, oh, something's going on. She must be in love with me. Right, right. Yeah, that's such a good point. And then he just goes for it. Like, yeah. I suppose they, I don't, I don't mean to offend Harriet Smith in this, but I suppose both Jasmine and Emma have loyal friends as well. Um, like Emma has um, Harriet and then obviously Jasmine has I can't remember what her tiger's called but <laughs> she has a oh tiger oh my gosh B- Bagheera I think is it yeah. no am I am thinking of maybe I'm thinking of the jungle book oh that's all Ra- Raja Raj oh my gosh yeah, yeah that's right I need yeah, to rewatch right. Aladdin my <laughs> Disney street cred is ruined I'm not a Disney authority anymore <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. It's okay. I won't tell anyone. So um, I've got a couple of people on my list, but oh no, I've only got one other person on my list for Emma, but do you have any people on your list for Emma that isn't Jasmine? I have some non-Disney princesses. And then I think my second on my list might match up with you. So if you want to go ahead and tell your second on your list. Okay. So my number two is Ariel. Um, I've mm, got her. I, I, oh, great. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So again, overprotective father. Um, longing for adventure. Emma really wants to um, travel and see the world because she's obviously been deprived of that, staying at home with her dad. And um, she's quite jealous of people like Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill who've been able to go to Weymouth. Um, so that longing for adventure makes them similar. Um, before um, Ariel meets Eric, she's not that interested in like romantic relationships. It's just meeting Eric that makes that real for her. Um, because mm-hmm. I feel like she has had suitors in the past. And I think that's the same as Emma. It's like, there are probably people she can marry, but it's not top of her mind. It's more like, she's more interested in her life independently. What is it that I want to explore? What's my adventure? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, that was my list. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't have much to add to that. That's exactly all the same reasons. Definitely the whole uh, father relationship. Um the fact that, you know, they're both in positions of privilege. Again, you know, they some, so many of the Disney princesses don't start out as princesses. And so Jasmine and Ariel start out as princesses in the same way that Emma um, is handsome, clever and rich and kind of the princess of her village. But um, I had three kind of honorary mentions that are not Disney princesses, but Disney heroines that just really reminded me of Emma that I just wanted to mention. So the first one is Mary Poppins because she's practically perfect in every way. <laughs> and she thinks, very highly of, <laughs> she thinks very highly of herself. Um, the only difference is that Mary Poppins is when she meddles in people's lives is actually, uh, she's pretty good at it. She makes things better for the bank's children and Emma is a disaster, but they do both like to meddle in people's lives. It's just that Mary Poppins <laughs> actually is good at it. <laughs> I love that link. That's amazing. And then I had Jane Porter from Tarzan because, and I even actually watched a couple of clips just to think, because I thought Jane reminds me of someone. And I was, I was trying to think, I do think she's a little enamored quickly with Tarzan in a way that you could say is like more romantic or more like a Marianne, but, um, Jane Porter thinks kind of highly of herself, not in a really too annoying way, but uh, there's a scene where she is um, chatting with like a little monkey who takes some of her, her 
no, it doesn't take some of her food, takes one of her drawings. And um, she's kind of having like this little battle with this monkey and she outsmarts the monkey and she's like, haha, I got the drawing back from you. And she kind of like is very smug about it. And then this whole like horde of gorillas or monkeys or whatever come after her. And she's like, well, not expecting that. And she's being chased through the forest. And that just feels like Emma, like, ah, I'm so clever. I, I got the better of the little monkey. And then it's like, no, you didn't really see what was like on the other side of that. You didn't see the whole picture. <laughs> I love that as well that's actually amazing that's so true I feel like Emma makes does these little things and doesn't realize the repercussions like it's so bad like all the flirting with Frank obviously she actually doesn't know that he's engaged to Jane but when it all comes out it's just so embarrassing for her and it's just like an avalanche of just embarrassment it's just awful Exactly. And I just saw that connection because while it's like more of a concrete sort of thing of of her consequences, um, Jane sort of tends to think highly of herself a little bit and think she has everything figured out and the consequences don't always work out for her. And then she also, in a way, I know this is kind of weird because it's her love interest, but the way that Jane Porter kind of molds Tarzan or tries to make him, him into the gentleman that she thinks that he should be like not the jungle man is very similar to Harriet, like how she's trying to bring Harriet up into her level and she's trying to bring, and Jane is trying to bring Tarzan up to her level. And really they don't, neither one need to be that change that much. Um, It's just that it's just their misconceptions um, or their own arrogance, I guess. I love that. And I'll also bring into that, that idea of trying to mold people into exactly what you want is Emma. I don't know if this is actually in the books. I can't remember, but I do know in the, um, the 2009 adaptation, there's a scene where Mr. Knightley turns up to, um, the Coles party on horseback. And she's like, why are you showing up on horseback? Like a gentleman would turn up in a coach or like a carriage. Like you can't, I'm ashamed to walk in with you. And that's actually like a similar again. Is that like yes. this one be like, Mr. Mel, you need to act like a gentleman. So yeah, again. I never thought of that. Yeah. That's like, that's really good. And then my last one, which is just, a, I don't think they have a ton in common, but I just had to do a little honorable mention for Tinkerbell because they're both very prone to being jealous. And I love the fact that Emma doesn't really want um, uh, Frank Churchill, but because she was duped and rejected, she's really like jealous and mad about it. And then she gets, of course, super jealous and uh, with Mr. Knightley. And that's why she realizes that she's in love with him. So they both kind of have that jealous streak in them. I love that. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's such a great link again. Yeah, I love those honorary mentions. Fantastic. And I have to add one more. Tinkerbell's um, reaction to Wendy is exactly the same as Emma's reaction to Jane Fairfax. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that is so true. It's that like fear. It's like, what what are you bringing? You're an outsider. What are you bringing into my world? Because like yeah. Neverland is Tinkerbell's world. And it's the same yes. as when Jane turns up in, in Highbury. Um, obviously mm-hmm. Jane's from Highbury, but she's not been there for so long that that is just Emma's kingdom at that point. Yes. Um, exactly. And she is a threat because she's a young woman who's like, obviously eligible to be married or what have you. And she's, yeah. Um, and she's more talented yeah. than Emma. She, she really is because Emma is, um, she's content to rest on her laurels. And, you know, there's always the thing about that. She's always making lists to read books, but she doesn't actually read them. And, you know, she can play and sing, but Jane just, Jane just has more talent than she does. And I think that she can't handle that because she's queen of the small little hill in Highbury. 
Right. And she's had to spend her entire life hearing about how much more talented Jane Fairfax is. So I think when she appears, she's like, oh gosh, it's uh, my competitor. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So is that everyone for Emma Mm -hmm. for you? Okay. So we've got two left. And next on my list is Fanny Price from Mansfield Park. Um, So I'm happy for you to start with this one. Um, I, for me, I have always seen Mansfield Park as the Cinderella story. Um, even though Edmund is, I could go on a whole thing about how much I don't like Edmund, but you know, Fanny wants him. So you just have to kind of go, okay, um, good for you. You got what you wanted, but, um, <laughs> but I do think that it, it is a Cinderella story. I mean, she's treated like the maid, um, sort of between a maid and a family member. <laughs> And, um, and she is related to them, which Cinderella is not actually related to her stepsisters, sisters or stepmother, but it's still like a family environment. And within her own family environment, she's treated as less than, um, I, I'm trying to think that, like I said, the Prince and Edmund, I don't think go along very well, but you could say that, um, I guess they don't have personalities though. Neither one of them have really great personalities. So I guess you could say, Um, but I just think even Edmund is less charming (laughs) than the prince because I just feel like, I feel like Edmund does not deserve Fanny. I feel like he does not appreciate her. I think he's the girl that he goes, okay, yeah. Mary Crawford is, is bad for me. She's disappointing. I've been burned. I don't even feel like it's sort of the Mary's like. Yeah, I don't feel like it's like Marianne grows to love Brandon and appreciate Brandon. I feel like he thinks Fanny will make a good wife, like Fanny will make a good clergyman's wife. And he really cares about her and he thinks she's the person that he ought to stay with. But again, that's kind of another tangent. But, but you know, I guess you could say in the sense that um, Cinderella's prince, you know, he's they dance together and there's not that much, much chemistry or anything to it. So I think that's similar. Um, you could say that Mary Crawford um, and Henry, just in the way that they try to like foil Fanny, um, have similarities to like the stepmother and the stepsisters. Definitely Mrs. Norris and the stepmother, um, exactly the same um, there. And I don't, I can't really think of a comparison for the mice, but that's, but I do think of it as a Cinderella story. And even the dance, even the dance with William, you know, like they do have a dance where Fanny gets to participate. And um, so, that, yeah, anyway, I think and I've always wondered and I would be curious to see what you think of this. Do you think that since Cinderella, I assume, was a well-known fairy tale in the Regency period, do you think that there was any sort of um, inspiration there for Jane Austen? Or do you think it's just completely not related? You know, I've always felt the same about like Cinderella and, the, and uh, Mansfield Park being so similar. So I have wondered that. I don't know how like widely read fairy tales were at the time because um, they didn't originate in England. They- it was more mm-hmm. like it was Germany, wasn't it? A lot of fairy tales. In France from. too, I think. Um, so I don't know how widely read that would have been. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think it was a lot of like other European countries. So I don't know how widely read it would have been in England at the time, but I, I couldn't know for sure. It'd definitely be interesting to know more about that. Um, I agree with everything you said, like about Mrs. Norris um, and the sisters. That's so similar. It's bizarre. It's actually funny. Um, just side note for everybody who's listening I do record my episodes quite far in advance but there is an episode coming out um, which will be out by the time this one comes out it's going to be the September episode and it's on Fanny Price so a lot of the things that are annoying you and I'm gonna <laughs> I do talk about those in that episode so you're gonna love it I just, oh, <laughs> just I can't wait no, I can't that wait. book 
<laughs> yeah, I can't wait to listen to. I actually really like Fanny Price. Um, I I think she's an underrated heroine, but there are just there are certain things with like Edmund. But uh, you may already know this, but I've always thought it was really fascinating that um, supposedly um, Jane Austen. Have you heard this? That Jane Austen was um, maybe a little bit inspired by Dido Bell. It's like Lord Mansfield. She w- have you seen the movie Bell? I know exactly. I know this. I, I I've not seen the movie, but I okay. I think I visited the place where they lived or something. So I do know about the story. Yeah, I do know. Okay, yeah. Lord Mansfield um kind of took her into his home. I think he was somehow related. He was she was his ward, and I can't remember the exact story. I do love the movie. It's just been a while since I watched it to remember the specifics. But I have heard because his name was Man Lord Mansfield that that had something to do with Mansfield Park and um the uh the slave trade and things like that that there was some sort of like loose connection that jane austen was trying to make but i think she was also even though fanny is white i think that she was also trying to make that connection of what must it be like to be sort of part of your family or household but also a complete outsider at the same time so i don't know i've heard that right maybe the inspiration no absolutely um yeah, hundred percent. Like she is pretty much a servant. I I do like say that in the the September episode. Um, I think I even I think I've called it like heroin or house elf because she literally <laughs> reminds me of a house elf at times. <laughs> no, she really does. I think the stories are so similar, and I loved what you said about the ball as well because I put here a note about um, it's not until the ball that she's actually that Fanny's actually. I'm seen differently and admired by men. I mean, we could talk into the fact that obviously there's some sort of male gaze situation going on there, but um, I feel like that's the same with Cinderella. She isn't noticed until she goes to the ball and then people are like, oh, wow. It's, I mean, it's slightly different in the newer adaptation, I think, because they meet prior, don't they? Um, the one with Lily James in, I think they do meet before the ball, but in, yeah. I'm talking about like, obviously the, the original adaptation, it's mm-hmm. when she goes to the ball, that's when she's recognized by everyone. Everyone yes. thinks, Wow. Like, and that's the same with Fanny. The only other person that I've got on there is Snow White. And that's just because of the innocence and naivety of Fanny. Also, mm-hmm. there's something very um, delicate about Snow, um, like fragile. And I mm-hmm. think Fanny's the same. Like Fanny's like continually ill. I think it's because they leave her in the attic with no fire, but like <laughs> she's just yeah. like ill all the time and she can't walk very far and um although snow's a little bit more active i feel like they both have that sense of that frigid like fragility between them yeah no and now that you're just saying this i didn't actually put her on my list but now that you're saying this i was thinking about the way that she takes care of the dwarves is very similar to the way that she takes care of the family at mansfield she's just kind of like everybody's like everybody leans on her to make things like more homey or more comfortable and that's kind of what the dwarves do with snow white Right. She's so nurturing. They both are. That's such a good link. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but that's such a great point. <laughs> so yeah, I don't have anyone else with Fanny. Do you have other, other princesses that you've matched with her? I have a complete wild card that I feel like on the surface, everyone's going to say this doesn't make sense at all, but I'm going to make it make sense. <laughs> or at least I'm going to make it make sense for me. But my wild card for Fanny is Mulan. And um, I, the reason I put them together is because I think that they both have a very quiet strength that no one sees in them. They have this underneath side. I think that Fanny is so strong, especially in her position to turn down Henry Crawford. And she is so adamant about what she believes to be best for her in the same way that Mulan 
does not fit into society, which many Jane Austen heroines, it's the exact same thing. They don't want to get married for, you know, um, with, if it's not for love and they want that some sort of independence, which is the exact same thing with most Disney heroines. Um, and, you know, especially with Mulan, but it's like this world that she's supposed to fit into, especially at the first, you know, and they're, and they're dressing her up and, you know, doing all the elaborate makeup and everything. And it's like, Fanny's not comfortable in that. Like, I really think in modern, in modern times, um, Fanny would be like, I don't, I don't know if I like the word tomboy but i guess somebody who's like more chill about things i don't know that she would really want to dress up in the same way that mulan doesn't i think that mulan feels like this sense of honor that she has to bring to her family in the same way that fanny feels like she has to bring a sense of honor to her family because she's sort of like less than and i think mulan feels that she's less than because she's a woman and I think they just kind of have this secret inner world that, especially in the novel, you really get to see Fanny's thoughts in this inner world. And you have this with Mulan. And then I also, you could even, um, even though Shang is way better than Edmund, I think you could even say the fact that, of course, Shang thinks that she's a boy like the entire time and um, he's attracted to women. So it's like he's not even thinking of Mulan as a romantic interest. And so um, it's sort of the same kind of thing. You know, Edmund sort of thinks of her as like family. And so it's the same kind of like, oh, this isn't really, you know, she's like my sister, just the way that, you know, Shang thinks of Mulan as like his, you know, teammate in the ar- in the army or whatever it is. And so um, I think they have to sort of late to the game realization, the same late to the game realization. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else for that I thought of with Mulan, but I just think that they both have this really surprising strength because no one would think that Mulan would be someone who could save all of China and be a warrior just the way that I think no one expects Fanny to, you know, put her foot down when it comes to the play, when it comes to marrying Henry Crawford, because that was so gutsy to turn down Henry Crawford. And even I remember, I think most Austin's fans feel this way when you're reading it, you're like, but maybe he could be reformed. Like maybe he's charming. Maybe you shouldn't turn him down, but she stuck to her convictions so much in the same way that Mulan, everyone told her, you know, that she couldn't be a warrior. She had to be this proper woman and she stuck to her convictions. And um, so I don't know. So I, like I said, it's weird. Maybe no one else sees it, but that's how it makes sense to me. Honestly, you've just sold that to me. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I'm seeing those connections loud and clear right now. I think it's so right. They've both got such strong moral compasses. They they know what they want. Like Fanny does not waver. She wants Edmund. She's not going to marry for anything less. And like you said, I mean that scene is so awkward when she's having to say like I'm not going to marry him. Um, when they're in that room together, it is so awkward. I mean, he is literally because obviously he doesn't know that she likes Edmund. He's like there, like why would you be turning this person down? I don't know if you were like gone crazy or something, but this is such a good opportunity for you. And you just sat there thinking, oh, this is so awkward. She can't turn around and be like, oh, it's because I love you, Sutton. So she's just there like, "Um, I just don't want to. And it just does not come over well. It's so bad. And I just feel awful for her. She's just like crying and oh, but you're right. She just like, she stands her ground. She is like, no, I'm not going to do this. And again, like you said, with the play, she stands her ground. Um, there's so many instances where she just jump up and she's like, this is my, these are my morals and I'm not going to waver from them. Um, Fanny is probably the most oppressed of all of the Austin heroines, as far as not really having much 
much room to move in her society, which I think with Mulan in the traditional Chinese society of her time period, she is probably the most oppressed of the Disney princesses. I mean, not it's in a different way. It's not like Cinderella. She's very oppressed by specific people, but Mulan is the most constrained by society. And I think they have that in common too. Yeah, I love that point. That's everyone I've got for funny. Is that everyone on your funny list? Yes. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So last on the list is Anne Elliott from Persuasion. Do you want to go first? Um, sure. I will. It's funny because I have two, the two of the same. So I have also always seen Persuasion as a bit of a Cinderella story because I, um, see her sister as definitely like the stepsisters, the way she treats Anne, um, the way her father, her father is not so much of the stepmother, but he's like Anastasia or Drizella. Like he's so vain and he's just, he's silly and ridiculous. <laughs> so, and he's obsessed with status. So he's not even like so evil as much as he's just kind of clueless in the same way that the stepsisters are he's a narcissist that's the best word for it and you know even though it's about second chances I still feel as if it has that Cinderella vibe because Anne is a little bit treated like a servant not exactly the same way as Fanny at all but she's definitely the the lowest down on the totem pole she's always supposed to um she's just always supposed to accept everything in the same way that Cinderella is. And I love hers is so much more satisfying than Fanny's story because Captain Wentworth is wonderful. And he is kind of like that prince, even though it's a second chance at love, it is a Cinderella story because it's magical. And, and, and it's like, she's going from obscurity, not within society so much, but like obscurity as far as nobody appreciates her to having that Cinderella moment of being seen and appreciated and, um, you know, taken away off into the romantic sunset away from the horrible family. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I put Cinderella as well. And I just said, you know, the cruel family dynamics um, is so similar. Um, I think I, I agree that the um, dad is more like one of the sisters I mean he's not even like a father figure it's super bizarre like in a lot of the Austin novels we have such there's such a bond between the heroine and the father and then Mm -hmm. with this one it's literally like you wouldn't even know it's her father it's it's pretty out unbelievable to be honest with you um I think even Sir Thomas Bertram is a closer father to Fanny than um or Sir Elliot is to um Anne like yes, there was just no relationship there. It's so weird. Um, but I agree. Yeah, there is that kind of um Anne kind of starting out at the bottom of the pile, and then slowly she kind of works her way back up there, and then eventually she gets a happy ending. So agreed. Cinderella is and, also on my list. And it's almost like they're um her sister and Sir Elliot are almost kind of jealous of her when she does get some attention. And I do think that. They have, I do think that the dad has narcissistic personality disorder. Like it's, it wasn't even probably a thing back then, but just the, it's just so, so classic. And I think the reason trying to think of her name, what is her sister's name? Is it Elizabeth? Elizabeth. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure her name's Elizabeth. Yeah. But I think the only reason he likes her more is because he, she just sort of mirrors back that narcissism to him. So yeah, there, that is such an interesting dynamic. He really is something else <laughs> yeah 100 percent. um I think my Aunt Elliot list is actually the longest of how many if she was my hardest to place with yeah, a Disney princess me too. so I had to have quite a few um 
compared to the others where there's there's usually someone that stands out to me and I'm like oh that's her match for Disney princess would be x for Anne it's been it was difficult so I do have Cinderella on my list um I also have Jasmine and the reason I've put Jasmine on there is that she doesn't care for wealth and like materialism and um, she wants mm. to marry for love um, and would choose to marry somebody unexpected who isn't what her family would originally choose that is really a good that is really a good point and if you think about Aladdin it's sort of a second chance too because she thinks he's dead or she thinks he's the street rat and um, then he's um, Prince Ali Ababwa and then she realizes I mean there's all that like weird identity stuff but it's still kind of a second chance because she does think that he's dead at first and like nothing's going to happen and she's then they have sort of that weird tension because she doesn't like him as the prince and um, even though Anne still likes uh, Captain Wentworth she still feels as if you know things are kind of over and so they do kind of both get that second chance with romance too I like that Right. Wentworth does come back as a bit of a douchebag temporarily. Yeah, he does. (laughs) Honestly, I really hate on him at the start of the novel. It just makes my skin crawl, honestly. I feel so In a way, though, he's almost like the Jasmine because it's just like he's the one who's kind of like, she's changed and she's, you know, betrayed me and lied to me and that kind of (laughs) thing. He's the Jasmine in that situation. Yeah, he really gets wound real tight about that whole situation. Um. Who else have I got on my list? So I also put Snow White and I put it that she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. Um, she's often the one caring for fam- family members um, and she also packs up the house, that kind of thing. So a bit like um, Snow and the dwarfs and also like the fact when she turns up at the cottage, she like cleans the whole place straight away. Um, so yeah, I've made the kind of link between those two. I don't know if you had Snow White on your list. Yes, I did have Snow White on my list for the exact same reasons. And it just, I thought of, you know, the dwarves are kind of needy in the same way that Mary is and, you know, taking, she's always just the person who takes care of people and she's the person who, she's the nurturer, definitely. So I think that's a great choice. 100%. And then the only other one that I did have on my list, I'll say the only other one, obviously this is my longest list, um, Sleeping Beauty. But I didn't put any comments next to it. So I don't know why I, I must've just been like, oh yeah, I can see the connections there. I'm guessing it's probably about um, temperament. And that Sleeping Beauty is really patient. And obviously she has to be patient because she's like basically in a coma. But um, (laughs) she she has to wait a long time. (laughs) Right. She has to wait for like that person to come back around and actually show their feelings are still true. And because obviously um, Prince Philip and um, Aurora meet prior and they kind of fall for each other. But then it's like he needs to show that again later on so it is it's kind of like Wentworth and Anne like they did fall in love but it's like he needs to readdress that later for it to work mm-hmm. out and um, it takes Wentworth writing the letter for Anne to be like right there's still something here um and it mm-hmm. takes Philip having to kiss um Aurora that she can actually wake up and live a life so <laughs> <laughs> well and I think too there's a similarity in the sense that she goes back and tells um uh, the fairy god or not the fairy god but the fairies the three fairies that you know that she's met fallen in love or whatever they find out that she's fallen in love and they're kind of like no (laughs) you're a princess you have to marry a prince and that's exactly kind of the same it's like they don't realize of course that it's the same person but it's she's being persuaded away you know she's she 
Um, she cries about it and is a lot more like pouty than I imagine Anne was, but I feel as if um, that's very similar. I mean, they both are, she was number two on my list because I think that they're both are at the mercy of other people's ideas for their lives. And they have, you know, more, they do have more calm personalities or personalities that feel that they kind of have to go along and be persuaded, even though I think that, you know, Aurora does kind of, I think she goes into her room and like cries a little bit, but she still, you know, she just doesn't talk. She just goes, there's that scene where she just goes with them um, and just doesn't say anything. She's just resigned to the fact that she's going to, you know, for her station in life, have to marry a prince. And I think that in a way, um, I, you know, I, I don't know if Anne Elliot really ever truly considers Mr. Elliot. I think, I don't know. I think that she, I feel like she kind of does, but I think it is that similar kind of dynamic there, even though Prince Philip is the same person, it's that, oh, you have to marry somebody of your station. And so, and I think that they are both, their lives are both very much ruled by other people and people don't approve of the match that she wants to have. That's such a great point. It's like a fast version of like persuasion. If we'd seen um, Anne and Wentworth prior, like when they were originally engaged, mm-hmm. and if it was all like sped up really quickly, would be which I would love like- to see. By the way, I would love for someone to make kind of a prequel or sort of a mini series where we get to see their whole relationship, and then we like fast forward to when the actual novel picks up. I just think that would be fascinating. Yes, I love like flashbacks in like a new adaptation where it's like you see yeah. moments of them together when they were younger. Um, because I think that's, I, I literally make this comment. Um, I can't remember which episode it, I talk about this now, but there was one episode where I talk about, um, I think it's actually the first episode that I did, the persuasion one. Um, but the, the point is like, you don't see um, them falling in love, which is so unusual for an Austin novel. Usually you're on that journey with them. but Anne and Wentworth have already fallen in love once. So you're already coming in like halfway through the story. Um, mm-hmm. and I just think that's so interesting. I'd love to know what their relationship was like then. Cause you only get snippets and you only know it from kind of Anne's perspective. And it's more of a, it's more feeling than knowledge. Like you don't, it's not like, you know, particular moments. It's like, you mm-hmm. just have the feelings that she had back then. Like she says, like my Wentworth, you know, there's connections there, but you just like, you want to know what actually happened. Um, yeah. what did they talk about like they say like oh you used to like music so we know that they they used to discuss their interests but it's like what did they talk about what did they have in common back then what made them fall for each other yeah definitely I would I would love to see that I would love to see those flashbacks yeah 100 percent um that's everybody on my list for Anne Elliot have you got anyone left on your list yeah that's everyone on my list too so I think we're we've made some really good connections here this is fun <laughs> right 100% that has been so fun it's been great to just like go through them all and, and link people together um I don't know if you have any like other wild cards you want to throw in there um before we wrap things up um I think I just had a couple of ideas um I didn't end up making too many notes for this but I think when I messaged you I was saying that I can't help picturing Caroline Bingley and Mrs. Hurst as the stepsisters. I just think they fit that so perfectly, especially in the 1995 adaptation, because there's a dark haired one and the red haired one. And it's like, it's so perfect. And they're just so like, they're so desperate to sort of like grab at attention and to kind of make, put Elizabeth down. And um, so I think that's kind of a fun comparison. And of course we've already talked about this, but Mr. Darcy and the beast, I just think are perfect. Like they're so similar. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think I've actually seen some like memes where people have been like matching the the sisters and the sisters and Cinderella. Um, it's really funny um, because sometimes they do actually look like that as well. I think in the 1995 one, they wear like massive hats and it's like really similar to um, yeah. in Cinderella when they go to the ball with like crazy clothes feathers, on. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that's everything on my part as well. But it's been so good to do this episode with you and um, I really enjoyed it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I think that your Instagram account is great and your podcast is great. And I cannot wait to listen to more. I love it. Oh, thanks so much. No, I appreciate that. So uh, where can everybody find you then? Um, So you can find me on my YouTube channel, which is Princess Lessons and um, my Instagram, which is Disney Princess Lessons. And um, I might have a bookstagram at some point. So if I do, then I'll give it um, to you for the show notes. No problem. And absolutely. Yeah. I always link where you can find Anne and everyone else that I've done um, podcasts with. And um, it'll be underneath the podcast episode in the description section. So you'll be able to easily find Anne there. Um, yeah, that's everything from me. Thanks so much, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. 